our next voyage on T-10, the show that explores the future of learning and technology and healthcare. I'm your host, Tim Fitzpatrick. On today's episode, you'll hear from Jess Ackerman, VP of Strategic Partnerships and Impact at Responsum Health. You might know Jess from her wide-ranging experiences across healthcare and technology, including her transition from speech-language pathology to patient-facing roles at health tech startups. I love Jess's passion and mission alignment with her work. Response and Health has shown remarkable speed in building these patient communities, sometimes in as little as three weeks with their partnership sponsors. Their focus extends across a range of patient communities, including menopause, chronic kidney disease, long COVID, glaucoma, COPD, and even rare diseases like pulmonary fibrosis and St. Philippo syndrome. As you'll hear in our conversation, Jess and her team are dedicated to improving access, evidence, and patient-reported outcomes. Responsive reduces clinical burden and improves patient education and frontline conversations, freeing up providers to spend more time on treatment information rather than just the basics. If you want to learn more, please head over to responsivehealth.com or connect with Jess on LinkedIn. As always, all links and media we mentioned in this episode are available in our show notes. We're ready to go. Please enjoy the voyage with Jess Ackerman. Jess, I am so excited to have you on the show to talk about all things patient engagement, talk about education, talk about CKD. But first, I want people to get a better sense of who you are. So first of all, welcome to T-10. Thrilled to have you on and please give people an idea of who you are. Awesome, Tim. Thanks. It's so good to be here. Uh, This has been a long time coming. I've known Tim for uh, over a year and um, have been begging him to get on this awesome podcast. So thank you to him for having me. Um, my name is Jessica Ackerman. I am a speech pathologist by background. I've worked in the medical field for um, 23 years plus, and I have been always a patient advocate, always um, therapeutic, interested in digging deep in evidence-based practice, in data, and uh, doing the best for our patients. And I've most recently been um, with a company called Responsum Health, and just to service a greater range, a a broader uh, capacity of what I can do for uh, advocacy, for empowering patients, and for um, bringing some solutions to healthcare. Amazing. Thank you, Jess. And I know we initially connected because you did strike me as someone who is deeply involved, wants to understand and does understand where patients are coming from and wants to be proactively engaged and find those evidence-based methods of engaging patients, informing patients, things like VR and your background as a speech language pathologist. Um, I'd love to hear more about why you were excited and uh, took on this role at Responsum. This is, I know, something that's relatively recent in terms of your professional career. So give us a sense of what it was you were kind of attracted to about Responsive, and then of course, kind of the overview of what the company does, and then we'll dig into kind of your day-to-day and and how you think about the business. Absolutely. So um, very dear to my heart is um, the ability to engage patients and be there for resources and um, education. And my mom was, diagnosed with stage four lung cancer as a non-smoker just three years ago. And she was um, given a very 
you know, poor prognosis at the time. Any stage four cancer is detrimental to everyone involved when you hear that word. Um, and so I immediately did my research digging in. I'm in healthcare. I, I can find the answers. I can fix this somehow. Um, and what I found was that truly the internet is um, bombarded with false information or um, outdated or not reliable, and we don't know which way is up. And so um, in my digging, I truly found that um, even in healthcare, I was having trouble uh, with solutions. And at the same time, I was um, pursuing other positions, other jobs, and I found Responsum, and they were answering this need. And Andy, our um, founder, founded it upon a similar uh, scenario that I did in um, looking for answers and not finding them and having um, a real problem between delivery of care and delivery of options, access to um, certain treatment options for patients. And so he created Responsum Health. And um, Responsum Health is a mission-driven company and really d digital health tech that builds communities of patients. And so we um, bring in a specific chronic disease, such as chronic kidney disease, and we inform patients, um, give them digestible, distilled down knowledge, resources, um, and we strategically align them with these resources um, to bring good options for their health. And so um, that's what Responsum does. And in a nutshell, uh, we also recruit for clinical trials. Um, we provide pharma and other stakeholders with um, insights from patients, which is really important to give back to uh, the, the pharma companies on real-world evidence, real-world data. And we also speak to families. We involve the families, the caregivers. So it's really a comprehensive platform at Responsum, and we've, we feel partnerships are, are such a important, integral part of our um, established platform because the, the partnerships allow us to provide, again, the feedback back to the stakeholders. So I imagine your your job must have been a really exciting one for a few reasons. I think on on the surface, you're already providing a simplified way for patients to find those answers you described when you were dealing with your mom three years ago and what sounds like Andy faces well firsthand. So that's already kind of solving a, a massive problem that we know exists and has probably been worsened through COVID and uh, more and more information's online that's harder and harder to, to understand and is um, uh, even though the internet is broadly accessible, it's very tough for people to find information they need. But as yes. in the partnerships role, I'd, I'd love to hear kind of your take. It, it sounds as though you're working with pharma and commercial sponsors and this whole idea that you can, at, at, on one hand, educate patients and provide access information, but also have that kind of cyclical relationship and feedback where suddenly access to clinical trials. And I know that's something we've talked about um, briefly on this show before, but I know there's an audience who is really eager to know how you can kind of combine those two worlds because there are all the challenges associated with education, but then there's also the host of challenges around recruitment and getting people through trials and um, that whole side. So help us see right. the, the partnership side and kind of your role and how you find partners, select partners within these community states and, and maybe which one comes first? Is it the community 
or the clinical trial opportunity? How does that happen? Certainly. Yes. And yes, both. Um, we do create our communities around a sponsorship. If there's a need out there, we can build a community in three weeks. So uh, I recently had a rare disease uh, patient advocacy group come to us and say, we really want this community built for our um, rare disease and we're building it you know, within three weeks. And so from there, we'll be able to create this pool of trusting patients and family members. And from that pool, that audience, they're willing to give their insights. They're willing to um, participate in trials. And when you have engaged patients who understand what it means to be in a clinical trial, that is so important because people out there just aren't educated as to what a clinical trial even means. A lot of people have this misconception that if you um, are opting into a clinical trial that you have to forego all other treatments or that you're at the end of your treatment options, but this isn't necessarily true. So what we have been experts at in the seven years we've been um, evolving is to in ensure that patients are educated, to give them the, the best education around what it means to be in a clinical trial, to participate in research studies, to um, complete polls and surveys. And so these are ways that we engage our patients. And then to speak to um, diversity, we're able to pull from a large range of diverse patients, which is really important um, based on the FDA guidances that have recently been put out. Um, so yes, we are um, both digging within our established communities. So our chronic kidney disease of thousands and thousands of patients, we're able to really quickly grab patients um, and recruit for clinical trials. Um, in addition to clinical trial work, we're also speaking to reducing the burden of disease, to helping with provider burnout, um, providing education on adherence to treatment. So patients who are more engaged are more adherent and they don't fall off their treatment. And we reduce rehospitalization and empower the patients. So there's, uh, Jess, there's so much here that I, I, just I find know. really exciting notes. I think the outcomes piece you're starting to touch on, I'd love to kind of focus on this. Um, but first, a comment. I mean, three weeks is so fast to get a community built and, and just off the ground. So I uh, hats off to, to the team for making that possible because that's a huge lift for any community, let alone some of the more complex ones to navigate. And I know you're also involved in rare disease as, as an area that you've launched uh, one or multiple communities at this point. So it's just fascinating to see that there is a systematic approach to, to being able to build a community in the way that you're thinking about aligning all of these resources because you need all of them together to have an effective solution. So let's talk about the outcomes piece. I'd love to focus on this for a couple of minutes. You mentioned adherence, you mentioned uh, reducing rehospitalization, provider burnout, it sounds like caregivers and and patients, you know, people and their loved ones are all part of, potentially part of the community. I just want to understand where, where, how you think about outcomes in your role and then obviously as a company. Yeah, absolutely. So outcomes, patient reported outcomes are um, a huge part of gathering real world evidence. And um, because providers are so overstretched, they really don't 
allow for um, this, this baseline education. So if we're creating a platform where patients can get at least a baseline education, this reduces the burden on the providers. So the patient goes to the doctor with a baseline and the communication with the doctor is then a little more informed. The doctor can perform at the top of their license and really give more treatment information rather than just go over basics. So we provide this digestible, incredible base of understanding. And again, that leads to more patient satisfaction on the other end of their provider and better outcomes. And again, adherence to treatment outcomes. If, if a patient is not doing their um, therapeutic regimen because they don't understand, they don't know why they're on this medication, they don't know um, which pharmacy, if, if they need a specialty pharmacy. These are all questions that we get in our peer support network. So we have a peer support chat and we're able to really give the patients this information that allows more access and adherence to treatment. So when we talk about outcomes, this is real world evidence that we're getting outcomes, that we're providing patients with the experience and the satisfaction that they, that they really need. This is great. So I, I love this story angle, right? Because I could imagine having this conversation with any of the nephrologists or you know, kidney care nurses who might be listening to this this particular episode and will want to know, well, how does this work, right? How how might a patient who I tell about the basics of kidney disease and kidney function, um, how might we improve that baseline under, understanding? Let's let's talk about maybe some of the the gaps. I can I can kind of maybe see where uh, low awareness either among provider side or patient side might run into difficulties with how to raise awareness of clinical trials. But let's let's shift the focus to um, how do you overcome some of those barriers, obstacles around awareness of clinical trials, and then obviously the, the education piece, especially in areas where you may not have a consistent interaction touch point with a care team, like you in a lot of these rare disease instances, for example. Right, absolutely. So in order to improve clinical trial retention, think about it. If we're if we're just throwing it out there on Facebook, someone saying, oh, there's a clinical trial or um, go to the clinicaltrials.gov, not to uh, bash them, but it is quite the uh, site to navigate for someone without a scientific background. And so if we're putting it out there into the community as a very digestible, here's the link to do a pre-screening. Um, and then we follow up, we're, we're um, a small team, we're gritty and uh, we're kind of boots on the Love ground. It. We continue to follow patients. They trust us. They trust that they're getting this better outcome through doing the trial. Um, we give them the benefits, the, the risks. Um, there's definitely more consistency in patient enrollment and adherence to the trial to carry them through. And so in terms of patients just being well-informed and trusting. I think that's really part of it. Um, and then engagement, um, it's storytelling. It's knowing that there's human need for connection um, for patients who feel loneliness, that they're isolated, that they have something. A lot of rare disease people, patients might have no nobody in their entire state with the same diagnosis. And so reaching within a community that has um, hundreds of other people with these same, um, the same condition is really empowering to patients. And so that just, again, provides the um, healthcare system, the ecosystem with a better sense of the patients and, and how they can 
be informed and how they can um, be empowered. And that's what really it's all about when it comes down to it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think you you touched on a point, human sidedness, that, that, that interaction between your team, your small, nimble, lean, hungry team, and the patients and the communities that you're building. And it sounds as though you have a bit of a peer support element within the education experience on the mobile app. And then you also have kind of a moderated forum where experts are able to weigh in and ensure that information is accurate and reliable. Um, I, I know one challenge that we've heard frequently on this show and I've heard from other founders and, and people like yourself is around how you increase the size, you scale the effective platform you've built. So I'm, I'd love to kind of shift and talk about barriers, right? What are the things when you think about launching five or 10 more communities over the next six months? Uh, what are the things that get in the way either from stakeholders who need to understand the value of what you're doing or just the pure infrastructure ability to actually expand in your current size? What are those things that are top of mind for you when you think about what's next? Sure. I think throughout healthcare, unfortunately, and I hate to say this, but there is slow adoption, a slow adoption of digital platforms, of uh, new ways of doing things. I know when I was um, way back building um, the Meditech uh, EMR, one of the, the first implementation in my um, small suburban Boston hospital, and there was such pushback from physicians. They wanted to write the scripts with their pen, and I understand that, but there was the status quo is what is uh, really the, the competition right now. So the, the adoption of digital platforms in general um, by not just doctors, I'm not throwing them under the bus at all, just sure. all providers really um, having trouble embracing the tech advances unless there is uh, um, clinical evidence and um, published peer-reviewed papers, which I understand there is such a need for that, uh, but there is a hesitant um, to utilize tools. So people um, who don't want to adopt this, um, you know, that that's okay. When I worked for the VR company, Virtual Reality, that was out there. That's That was kind of on the fringes. And, and again, the slow adoption. So that's a barrier. And there is an opportunity there to forge partnerships, to um, have this data and um, real world evidence available. So I think the opportunity Opportunities for sure outweigh the barriers, but uh, there certainly are barriers in, in adoption. I think that's the biggest thing right now. And and also, I think people are quick to jump um, to aging population not wanting technology. And to me, that is a really misperception. Again, when I worked with virtual reality and and this app-based tool that we have, our Medicare population is hot to do it. They are ready. They have their phones. I mean, um, my our parents' generation between age 70 and 80, um, they're, my mom's on her phone constantly researching, doing this and that, apps and everything. So I think people are judging a little bit quickly that um, the older population is not going to adopt technology when I think it's a huge opportunity because everyone has a smartphone, even an 80-year-old at this time. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we're all just waiting for tools that can be used and um, 
when we have the right tool, when we have the right partnership, I think there's a huge opportunity. Um, and I like to think that the pharmaceutical companies and commercial partners are willing and able to partner with vendors like Responsum Health, um, with people who are experts, quote unquote experts in what they're doing. And so I just really would, um, again, see that as a passion of mine to extend those opportunities. That's great. And Jess, you, you tackled two things that I wanted to discuss. So the barriers around slow adoption and status quo being the main competition. I love that. And then secondly, it sounds like you see the opportunities around real world evidence. There's still a lot of room there, especially in your application, but then also you know, the tech literacy of older adults and right? not, not just jumping to judgment and, and seeing the opportunity there. And I know that organizations like AARP do a really good job of publishing annual reports around those acceptance levels and they're constantly far above what I would guess they are. And uh, in, in our own work, I've also seen similar reactions that have led me to realize I need to realign my expectations when it comes to novel tech in these settings, because you're, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I, I'd love to continue this and go towards the tech side of things. So if, when you think about opportunities and where tech, you, if, as someone who's been on the clinical side has worked with novel and emerging tech and is continuing to kind of drive that forward, the adoption, and you mentioned the slow curve, are there any areas of tech where you see opportunities or where you're most excited about the adoption of those types of technologies? Yes, absolutely. Uh, to me, meeting patients where they are. So 95% plus of health management happens outside the doctor's office, outside the medical facility. And so the use of tools like um, RPM, remote patient monitoring, digital education tools, hospital at home, those are areas that I think are just going to um, really flourish. And that is, to me, where we're heading and where we should be heading. Because again, patients are not um, in the hospital all the time or at their doctor's office. They're at home. So let's meet them where they are. Let's be advocates and let's engage patients um, through the mediums that they're used to. Amazing. Those three are very exciting, especially in your world. I can imagine some partnerships that you end up devising that leverage, I think, all three of those things. Uh, and ultimately, we might see, you know, responsive involved in the at-home care model if it's not already in the works. But I think that's a pretty compelling proposition. So I know we've we've been getting through the what we traditionally call the, the final frontier. There's two remaining questions before I want to come back and kind of encapsulate the company and make sure people can find you. But let's let's close out here with the last two questions. The first being top media recommendations. So as you're you know, uh, thinking about media, podcasts, books, what are the things that you're consuming right now to help inform how you think about your role and response and just in general, the, the state of technology and healthcare? Oh, wow. That's a huge question. I am a podcast freak. So uh, too many to name. I'm constantly absorbing and digesting content through podcasts. So uh, I, I can't even name them all, but certainly yours is, is on my top oh, 10 list. Um, top and 10? so, wow. it, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so um, yes, constant on the podcasts and um, I've also had a recent affinity towards fiction, which is really weird to me because it's outside of my typical realm of 
thinking that there's no place for reading anything other than knowledge and gaining something. Um, and I had no time for fiction. And so I truly believe that in my audiobook format, I have to admit, um, that, that I have been consuming fiction that has grown me as a human being. Uh, and I've learned way beyond measure from fiction from, um, you know, historical literacy, um, literary books and things like that. And I really feel that the human condition is deeply woven um, and, and wordsmithed throughout some of these amazing, amazing books. And a few of them I'll note is um, Nat Haig, The Humans, amazing book if you haven't read it. Um, and then there's another one I just read about the neuroscience of the olfactory system um, about smell. And it's highlighted in such a moving and emotional story. It's called The Scent Keeper by Erica Bauermeister. So those are two that I will just highlight. Um, I love Jody Picoult's new book, Mad Honey. And again, these are audiobook um, formats. So again, a little shift from my uh, typical must have knowledge in, to, in order to improve myself and a little bit more of the human touch. So. Well, I appreciate that. I happen to love fiction. So it's, these are three I have not read or heard of. So Ooh. you better believe these are on my, on my list. So thank you for, for sharing all of these. Okay. So this, this brings us to the last point. I'd love to know, I know you are very active on socials. You're very well connected. Who are the people you're following in, again, in either the healthcare world, the tech world, or anywhere in between? Who are the people you're kind of consuming from, learning from, and, and following for kind of direction of where the world is headed? Oh, wow. Again, so many that I, I can't really name the sure. names, but your um, guests are definitely at the top of my list. Really, what I do is when I'm listening to uh, podcasts, I, I typically seek out those uh, guests. And when they're enlightening, when they're talking about important, informed, uh, meaningful solutions, I reach out to them on LinkedIn and say, let's have a conversation. I think that's a great way to um, engage and to, to find synergy. And, and I think that podcasts and getting out what you are doing and how people are influencing healthcare in general, moving the needle with bold solutions, it's just so motivating. So um, I have a passion for humans and connecting with them. And so, um, you know, just, just making networks and connections has been wonderful. So too many to name Tim, but um, mm -hmm. I have them in my network. Yeah. Well, good. I, I, number one, thank you for both of those responses. I, I too learn a ton from T minus 10 guests. It's, it's why I love having people like yourself on. So thank you. Uh, and then second, I also love when I hear someone sharing something on a podcast because I too listen and consume a lot of them. I love reaching out and connecting after because I find people are just, they, they want to connect and they want to share more. They want to understand the impact that they're having on people they've never met. So I love that approach and I, I share that too. I definitely resonate. Okay, Jess, this, this has been really helpful. I want to make sure before we wrap up here, um, could you give people an idea, those who might want to know which communities you've been busy building and the things that are top of mind for you, just give us a quick idea of what are those communities response and this is building running today where people might engage and then how can they get a hold of you response and get involved, get engaged today if they're curious. Absolutely. So some of the 
communities that we have built, um, one is menopause, and that's huge because women's health has been, I just read an article today about trillion dollars um, that there's this gap in women's health, and we're just wasting money because there is such a gap in women's health and the focus. So our community of menopause women is strong and empowered. And so we want to move the needle. There's there's not a lot of medications, not a lot of treatment options for people going through menopause. There's certainly just not enough specialists who are specializing in this area of women's health. And so um, I feel very strongly, and if there's people out there who have um, uh, want partnerships with an informed group community of women with menopause to give insights, for sure, that is um, a great reach. We would love to partner with um, more companies who are working with people with menopause. So um, menopause, we have chronic kidney disease, as you know, um, which is a huge community. Um, COVID, long COVID, people with long COVID are often stigmatized and don't have um, a social network. There's um, not a lot of support and there's a lot of mental strain, uh, mental health strain on people who have been um, long COVID diagnosed. And so we have a long COVID community. We have glaucoma, um, pulmonary fibrosis, which is a rare disease, uh, fibroids. And that touches on um, an underserved population of African-Americans that, that really we are working to um, get to uh, women with fibroids. And we also have um, some other communities that we're building in rare disease, uh, San Filippo syndrome, which is a, a rare disease that affects um, children. And there are a number of other um, areas, heart failure, COPD, um, diabetes. And so there's a lot of room to grow, um, to create new communities. Like I said, we can build them uh, rapidly. We're really, um, quite strong in that area. And we have all of the infrastructure, the backbone to, to keep building. So um, if any of those communities or others, uh, please, if you're in the network with Tim, reach out and we can uh, talk about it. That sounds great, Jess. Thanks for running us through. Where can people find it online or if they reach out to you as um, well? Obviously we want them to reach out to you, say hello, and introduce themselves to you, if that works. Sure, and it's responsumhealth.com. And responsum, uh, the name is from the Latin word, the answer. So that sometimes makes it easier for people to remember. So it's responsumhealth.com. And um, you can find me on LinkedIn, or usually that's where I hang out. Amazing. We'll include links to everything. We'll go back and find anything that was mentioned in the show and then make sure it's included in the show notes. Uh, Jess, it's been such a pleasure to finally have you on. Thank you for, for joining, for sharing everything about the work you're doing. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. It was so good to chat.